Welcome, listeners, to another great episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. Yes, heard every week on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. That's right. Every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Woohoo! So, good morning, friends. Hey. Hey. We're here today and we are picking back up on our State of the District series. Yes. So we had, we took a little break because we were giving y'all a chance to, you know, um, drag the hell out of Richmond for, uh, I don't know, Navy Hill. And we had like blackface governor happen. And they like stole Black History Month from me. And then like, what else happened? I mean, it was just so much. <laughs> like y'all just, y'all just messed up everything. So yeah, we got thrown off a little bit. Um, we had to start back over. We had covering to start over. other important issues. But <laughs> it is time since, you know, we're about ready to start into the last year of everybody's term and yes. get up into an election year. Well, wait, before we before we so, move on, there there actually was an update on Blackface Governor. Oh, yes. See, it's Blackface Puppy. What? <laughs> you didn't see? No. There's a black dog. Oh, oh well, that makes everything better. <laughs> It's all erased, all forgiven. Thanks so much. If you didn't see, you guys, that was a total like joke. But no, it's for real. The governor got a dog and it is a black puppy of all things. No one is thinking of these things. No one <laughs> thought of these things. It's a black dog. It is a little, it is a very, very black, but very adorable, cute dog. <laughs> Dying up in here. He's very cute. And Twitter and Facebook both went off. And so I'm telling you, I mean, people were like, oh my gosh, the dog accidentally fell on your shoe polish. It's a lot. So <laughs> go check out those those threads because they will make your life. Okay, so moving right along. Yes, we're back to <laughs> State of the Districts. And we're in your home district this week. All right, it's time for the six. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually really stoked about that because I'm definitely a big fan of my district. Well, yeah, no. You know, anytime I get a chance to shout that out, I do. Mm. Highland Park, what's up? We do have a distinguished guest with us today to talk about things. So would you like to introduce yourself, man? Hey. Hey. (laughs) Hey, girl. Hey. Hi, I am Felicia Cosby, 6th District School Board member. Yes, ma'am. Welcome. It's so good to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. First timer, right? Yes. Yes. Welcome. Yes, yes. And there's a lot going on in school board land. Oh, yes. yes. There's always a lot (laughs) lot going on in school board land. (laughs) My God. Where do we want to begin? Oh, gosh. I mean, well, we can. How about we wait wait to get to the juicy stuff? Mm. Oh, yeah. To Towards the towards the end, we'll ease you in. Yeah, oh, you yeah. ease me in. Okay, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll we'll, okay. we'll ease you in. Right. So let's talk about what what led you to run. I mean, I know we're midway, th- more than midway through now, but you know what pushed you to run for school board? And at the time when you were running, what was at the forefront? What you set out to do? What were your goals? What was the point? The point. Uh, a couple of you said, Felicia, you should run for school board. And I said, uh, okay, no. <laughs> um, but no, that did happen. Uh, but I started thinking about it, and there were a couple of things that were going on. Rezoning at the time. The Always flashback. Going on. Right. And so, and there was talk of closing down Overby Shepherd. 
Mm. Like what? That's our holy. Yeah, that's school. Are you kidding? <laughs> exactly. So that was on the table, and I'm like, wait a minute here. No, 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 no. And uh, also, I just felt like there were some some things in the district, and I'm saying district, not just sixth district, but just mm-hmm. in terms of RPS that were we were kind of going backwards. I felt, mm. and so I'm a product of RPS. I worked at RPS, and I'm very, I was very familiar with all of the initiatives that, at least when I was there, we were trying to, to accomplish. And so I thought that, hey, you know what, maybe I can lend some of my knowledge and passion for the school district to this position. So it's been interesting. Now that you've had some time, got some, some time under your belt mm-hmm. on school board, mm-hmm. what, if, what do you feel like you've accomplished for your and it doesn't have to be anything great mm-hmm. it can be something really small Sometimes or the little things great. are what are really super meaningful yes so. yeah what what do you feel like you've done that you're really really proud of that you've mm-hmm. championed even if it's something super super small especially if it's something that maybe a majority of your constituents don't know like a mm-hmm. project you've been working on or something you've really tied a lot of time into mm-hmm. at schools in your district you've been fighting for well a couple of things and i think um one of the things that i'm really excited about i firmly believe that in the past perhaps mlk was not given the attention or positive attention that it needed and deserved i'm really excited about our new principal at MLK well two years now uh, really excited that just recently uh, we were able to include MLK middle school in the equity fund so that's an additional $90,000 for this period that MLK can say okay we can use this to work on some of our critical needs yes very excited about the culture shift that we're seeing at MLK. Very excited about over at Overby Shepherd. We have a new leadership. We have, of course, it was a new revamped school. It was great to see it's, that open back up. Oh, mm-hmm. wasn't it great? Yes. I love, and it's so, you know, I love the colors. I encourage anyone to, everyone to go to Overby Shepherd. It is really, when you walk in there, you feel like, oh, I am in like an imagination space here. It is mm-hmm. the colors, the floor plan, the primary, I mean, it just, it's fun, it's engaging. It's exciting. We have great, the staff is coalescing now, and they have a wonderful leader. Uh, She just came on board this school year, uh, and they're really focusing on literacy. That had been a big issue at Overby Shepherd, so we're really, really pushing literacy. At MLK, changing the school climate and culture, a big, big thing. So the equity fund really, really helped, uh, or is going to help. Also, we are looking at extending the school day or school calendar at MLK, as well as for fall, we are looking at a STEM academy at MLK. So yeah, that's well, going to happen. Yeah. I am so excited about that. Just recently, we had VUU partner with MLK. So it's the VUU athletic program. And they're going to be mentors with our students, seventh grade students, one-on-one lunch buddies, which is exciting. That yes. just happened last week. So we have some really exciting things happening within the district that people should be. Just come on to the district. Come on to 6th District. We're rolling. We're rolling. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. After school, extending the day, especially at MLK, is important because not just in that area, but Richmond in general struggles for after school programs that are available that don't cost money yeah. um, to students. And so MLK being right across the street, that's going to help kids in that neighborhood because when you don't have after school instruction and 
you can extend the school day and kids are comfortable where they are at school. If some kids go to school and that's their only meal that they're getting fed, you're in a safe space or you're at least getting instructional help and you're being supervised. Yeah. Get your homework done. Get some of the, the sillies out before you go on home and mm-hmm, stuff. And I mm-hmm. think that, yeah, having a, a purpose after school instead of just, you know, kicking it at home alone is yeah. fantastic. So if you can't have an after school program, um, maybe making the school day a little bit longer, you know, that's mm-hmm. definitely something that in a lot of other places, a lot of other cities, um, especially inner city schools have considered doing that when you have a, a lot of after school programs for kids. That's a, a big step. It, it is. It's a major. Mm-hmm. I'm really really excited about extending the calendar as well. What we are finding, of course, the summer slide. That is a big, big issue, and it's real. You have an administration at MLK, and you have teachers that say, we need to do something different. Yes, we're excited about the STEM Academy, but also with this calendar, extending the school calendar is going to be extremely important. We have some, at MLK, what we're finding, we're finding the school climate and culture is so important to change that. You're absolutely right, having that safe space after school we need our students we need to protect the innocence of our kids we need to make sure that our students can remain students can remain kids and in many instances they cannot In many instances, they are the ones who might be uh, going home and being the adult at the house and taking care of their siblings. In some instances, they might actually, when they go into their communities, they might be approached by gang members or may have already been jumped into a gang. That is the reality that we're finding at MLK. Mm -hmm. So making sure we have this safe space Mm -hmm. is really a big thing. Uh, And making sure that we have not just a safe space, but that we have master teachers too at MLK and the trauma-informed care is so important so that if a student is acting out you're not automatically thinking well this child is has a disciplinary issue and they need to be sent somewhere else exactly because the trauma-informed care tells you that they're they're acting out for a different type of a different reason let's not criminalize them for you know their traumatic life or whatever it is they're experiencing sometimes it's just hormones and being a teenager and you don't know and sometimes you don't know how to process complex emotions until you're well into your adult Mm -hmm. years some of them still struggling with right exactly we've got a lot of peter pans out there you know but criminalizing children especially black children Mm -hmm. is so incredibly harmful and i'm so glad to hear that there are other um, diversionary you know options out there than just bringing in the resource officer and saying, well, we're going to charge you with disorderly whatever. That's a police officer. Right, right. We, we can't police ourselves out of this. We really do have to take a more holistic point of view. And so with the trauma-informed care at MLK is very important. We also have what they have is a mindfulness room. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that I'm very keen on seeing expanded because yes. we need to look at how can we impact MLK as a school. The mindfulness is great. The mindfulness room is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so students who might be having some difficulties in the classroom Mm -hmm. they can go into the room they can practice yoga they can practice breathing techniques uh, to get them centered what I hope we'll be able to see in the very very near future uh, will be to have these mindfulness exercises in the classroom now that is a a mandate kind of later on in the during the school day but in the very beginning if we can get people to assist teachers in these mindfulness exercises so when I'm getting off the bus I'm a student I'm getting off 
off that bus. I'm going to my homeroom. I'm going to start to decompress and leave everything else behind mm-hmm. and just be centered and ready. Because there are a lot of things, you know, that our students are going through that it's like, no, you you can't focus on education. You can't because you're, you're thinking about some, you're thinking about survival. Yeah. You know? right. And that's that's just the truth of it. I think that the average person, especially if depending on the district that you live in or your actual experience, especially if you don't have kids in these um, schools, you know, you don't realize that a lot of these kids come to school and you're wondering why they can't perform well on the PALS test Mm -hmm. or why they're not getting this. But you you wouldn't perform well on the PALS test either if you were wearing your hat, coat, and full gloves Mm -hmm. to learning class or if there were you know, a, there's a leaky roof leaking on your desk while you're trying to study or the next door neighbor was shot and killed the night before and you can't stay at home because your mama got to go to work mm-hmm. and you got to go to school because the truancy officer has told your mother she's going to be in trouble if you miss another day of school. So you got to go to school. Mm-hmm. Here you are sitting here with trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what? how am I supposed to concentrate? Or my stomach is growling because I haven't eaten. That's right. Or a number of things. The last thing I'm worried about is composite fractions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I could care less. Right, right. Speaking <laughs> about eating and stuff, mm-hmm. what do we do in the summertime for these kids so that they don't fall through the cracks? Is there any kind of program that RPS has going on summer-wise? Well, it's citywide. It's, and yeah, so citywide. there is a summer lunch program. So students do get they do get breakfast I keep saying students but our youth Mm -hmm. Youth, um, they do get breakfast and lunch good good so it's, it's something that helps there is a window there I think it's in the month of August I want to say or a few weeks where there's nothing and so it, it you know hopefully we can come up with something to fill that that void okay so some of those well-meaning um, uh, white nonprofits that like to throw money at things yep come um, on down yep. get in line <laughs> we got a job Absolutely. for you right 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 right, right. So there you go right. Yeah, but yeah. So I, you know, and I'm I'm really excited. And you asked me in terms of accomplishment. I think it's been something that everyone has worked at to ensure that we do see progress. But I, I am a anybody would tell you, you know, I'm 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 a serious advocate for for MLK for Overby Shepherd, and will really, for lack of a better term, I'm going to fight for those schools. Mm-hmm. You know, to, for them to get the resources that they need, and for our students to get the resources they need because I'm, I'm a firm believer that our students, our kids, somewhere along the way, we have got to make sure that we do protect their innocence and make sure that they can be students, they can be kids and, and, and feel good and feel safe. And I think in a safe environment, that's when we see true progress. Yeah. yeah. Because they're comfortable. You're comfortable to, to imagine and to, to explore and all those things that we want our young people to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should have joy. Yes. Their day. Joy. Yeah. You know, I hate to see a kid without joy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really glad that that's a high priority mm-hmm. for you. In the sixth, we don't have a high school of our own. Where do our high school age kids go? Our students go to, in the 6th District, they're either going to go to uh, John Marshall High School or Armstrong right. High School. Those are the two high schools. Which is right up the road. Mm-hmm. Yep. Marshall's mm-hmm. right up the road. Yeah, just a little skip over the line to mm-hmm. another district. But, yeah, I wonder mm-hmm. if we'll ever get our own. Well, you know, we Marshall is in the d- d- dire need of renovation. Yes. That's the same yep. school that my husband graduated from. And um, he's a dinosaur. 
<laughs> and it looks the same, right? It's the same school. Yeah, it yeah. looks the same. Same so, Yeah, I know we right. have a lot of aging buildings. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. And yes, I know you do. guys have plans for some of these aging buildings. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What, so we talked about some of the things that you, you, you've done and you mm-hmm. like. What What do you feel if you, even if it can't happen in this one term, but, mm-hmm. you know, magic unicorn, right? If we could, mm-hmm. if it could happen, what would you like to see just, you know, fairy godmother of the sixth <laughs> on school board? What would you like to see happen? For, and if you could make it happen, what would you, what would you do? If I can make it happen, I would love to see Overby Shepherd. Uh, we've been using this term a lot, but, and I don't know if I would call it a magnet school, but definitely that is is a school that we practice we practice gifted and talented pedagogy or curriculum mm-hmm. and not saying that it's a neighborhood school we're not looking at your test scores we're not looking at your grades mm-hmm. everybody who goes there but you're going to have that experience mm-hmm. you're gonna have that experience that's what I want to see for Overby Shepherd I want to see Overby Shepherd you know two years from now that Overby has the highest reading scores the highest math scores within the 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 system Mm -hmm. and i know it can't happen Mm -hmm. i I know we're we're, we've seen an increase and we're on an upward uh, trajectory but Mm -hmm. you know a lot of more work has to be done and for mlk i want to see just mlk be that model school that stem model school that people say hey they can be from the West End say, I want to go, want my child to go to that school because mm-hmm. they're doing awesome things mm-hmm. at that school. That's what I want to see. That, Plus, that would mm-hmm. be amazing. I was going to say, those don't sound like unbelievable ask here, no. y'all. No. So, I, I think mean, we can do this. Yeah. Yes. I th- we can. We really can. For the equity fund. So we had administration come up and they said, okay, well, we're going to have this equity fund. We want to uh, take some money from here and there and, and start to expedite some initiatives for the principals. Mm-hmm. And originally, they were just focusing on elementary schools. So they were four elementary schools. Didn't include MLK. We had a talk about it with my colleagues. I think it would be great if MLK is included, yada, yada, yada. And so the next school board meeting, MLK still wasn't included. And so then I'm like, wait a minute. this It needs to be included because MLK right now, we have an MOU. We're in an MOU with the Virginia Department of Education. It's a 10-year MOU, minimum 10-year MOU. Mm-hmm. And that's because they think that it's going to take 10 years for MLK to become fully accredited. Mm-hmm. So if we prioritize our priority schools, mm-hmm. you're right, Francesca, these things are doable. And, and we just have to have a singular focus, and we have to prioritize it. Mm-hmm. And if they're priority schools, treat them like they're priority schools. That's right. Some districts have great working relationships and they've been able to partner together. You know, some haven't had projects that they've worked on together yet. But how have you and Ellen, um, if you have worked together maybe to accomplish something for the district or for a particular school or maybe a project, or if you haven't yet, do you guys have anything kind of in the works that's coming together that y'all are working on together to do for the six? So Ellen and I have a pretty good relationship. Initially, when I first came on the school board, we were 
uh, working on opening up Overby Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some, you know, some people said, hey, we're not quite ready. Can we keep it open another year? And our students go to Clark Springs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I work with Ellen on that to get community input. Mm-hmm. Hey, community, do you want to wait and continue to go to Clark Springs? Or do you want to be back in your home school? Mm-hmm. Okay, I think it was overwhelming. Yeah, they want to be back in their home school. <laughs> it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... So one with that, and second, uh, Ellen has been a really um, strong proponent of literacy in our school district. So she and I went to Baltimore together to look at uh, it's um it's called direct direct learning. It is a literacy model that with the foundation of phonics, and uh, in some Baltimore city schools, they've had really great success with this particular model. And so she and I went there to view it, came back and said, hey this is something we should look at for the school district and I would really like for you all to look at it for OB Shepherd. Anyway, so mm-hmm. fast forward, we are doing something similar. It's not that particular model, but close. Um, but very close cool. with our literacy program at OB Shepherd. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Tell your constituents how they can help you with community projects, how they can help contribute to their district schools. Also speak to the folks who don't have kids because there are a lot of folks out there that are like, well, I don't have kids in RPS. So what does this matter at all to me? Yeah. You know, kind of speak to them, too, because it still matters. Yeah. What can they do? (laughs) Right. It still matters because when we talk about the economic vibrancy of our district, of the city, education is is like that it's the it's the center of it all uh, without a good educational system you know I, I truly believe that you start to see things get stagnant and they become drained um, and so people don't want to move into the district they don't want to put resources into the district so I encourage everybody to to support to support our schools and to support the next generation of productive citizens uh, and so what can people do so we know that at MLK we need people to be mentors. That's really important. Every child at MLK, they need a caring adult to say I care and to be consistent Mm -hmm. and to have that relationship so we can have those safe relationships, safe spaces Mm -hmm. uh, where somebody says, you know what? Hey, I don't care what's happened at home or whatever. You're here and I love you. And I'm just, I'm going to fight for you and make sure that you're okay. That's all I care about, that you're okay. At Overby Shepherd, we need the same thing. At Overby Shepherd, actually, uh, the principal there is very keen on community relationships. Mm -hmm. She's about building those partnerships, which is a wonderful thing because people in the community have said hey how can I help so if we support our teachers and also with that literacy you know we have a library there we um, need books we need books uh, in the library we need people to support literacy book drives Uh, we need people to come in and and read stories to our students so things like that go a long way so it's not always financial but it's just the in kind the the giving of yourself we have a little bit of time left Mm -hmm. and I I know that the hot topic right mm, now with mm. school board is huh? rezoning. Mm-hmm. Nah. What? <laughs> Are you just hearing about this? <laughs> map, map A, B, K, L. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So is this going to affect the 6th District at all? And how are you dealing with this, you know, the dynamics uh, on school board about the rezoning discussion? It's, it's been interesting, to say the least. So this, the 6th District. <laughs> the 6th District. Overby Shepherd has, uh, it's not being affected. That's 
good much here, I guess. Right. So we, our is. neighborhood will be left out of you know the fray <laughs> and the fight. Not being affected. Uh, MLK, it's good because in some of the options we have, um, right now you have some of the south side neighborhoods that feed into MLK. And so with the rezoning, we're looking at options, whereas the south side uh, community will stay over south side. Mm-hmm. So they won't necessarily feed into MLK. Now, why am I saying that's good? That's good because although MLK's capacity is maybe around 800 or so, we are probably at 650 and it is, it feels like a lot. Yeah, it's pushing it. It's pushing it. It really is. And especially at the sixth grade level, we had a lot of sixth graders coming in that we weren't anticipating and quite frankly, not really staffed. Mm. So you have larger class sizes, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily the best at MLK. Right. right, you know, it's not the best at MLK. So we need so we need to get those class sizes smaller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this will help relieve that. Okay, which is a good thing. Okay. So overall, though, with the rezoning process, I mean, so we the the rezoning advisory committee has worked really, really hard on coming up some options with that meet the. The goals that the school board set forth. Mm-hmm. And so and the goals were, we had a lot of them. I'm excited about the work that the rezoning advisory committee has done. We're in the process of uh, holding public hearings. Yeah. I encourage everyone to come out and let your voice be heard. Uh, it's such a critical, it's, it's, it's such a critical issue here. We have not had this type of rezoning in years with the city. I mean, years. Yeah. So, and we're tackling just, not just the elementary level, but middle school and high school. And it's not, it's not something that is going to, it's not the end all be all. It's not going to accomplish everything that no. we want. And I think my biggest takeaway from this whole exercise is that we need more schools. Yeah. Ah. We need more schools. I'm We're sorry. Out we need, yeah. I'm not going to disagree yeah. with you there. <laughs> right. We need more schools. You know, the South side, the South side, uh, you know, we've seen people change boundaries and, and try to move everything around. But the bottom line is, is that we are not going to address the critical need of Southside when it comes to space until we build another school. Yep. Yep. And that's just the bottom line with that. Facts. Yeah. yeah we need more schools. Yeah. And um, we need people to stop showing up to dirt comes to many of these uh, public hearings. Mm-hmm. And we just uh, need... We want to see more of y'all there. We want to see mm-hmm. more people. We want to see more... I know I want to see more black people. Yeah, we need more um, people of color to come. Because, yeah, because I need to hear less white people stand up and say they don't want to send their kid to that mm-hmm. school. You hear a lot of really strange arguments during this. You hear a lot of massive resistance language. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, hey, y'all, 2019, not 1959. You well, do. you know. You we're, we're forever hopeful here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. And and I'll be honest with you, um, based on some of the feedback, I, you know, I don't really know. And I'm, you know, I'm keeping myself open in terms of the options. I'm not sure how I feel about pairing and it's not 
because of it is because of what people have said, but it's but it's coming from a different perspective. It's coming I have from the a same. Pers- I have the same perspective. I know where you can write yeah, to say. There are a couple of things, and mm-hmm. so the perspective is, you know, if we are in that, if people are so against this, mm-hmm. it's a, it's I, I get a little defensive and a little protective. Yep, because I don't want that child. I don't want these kids going to a school where they're not feeling welcome, where the parents mm-hmm. are not acting a certain way, and I also have a big issue with ascribing to this notion that a black child is going to get the education that he deserves if a, because he if needs a white, a white child yes. is sitting beside yes, that him. Is, yes. This is the problem. Like, get that and narrative out that, your mouth. Exactly. Well, but, but here's the issue, but that's though. What we, but here's the issue, yeah. though. The fact is, it, it's not truth, but there's a, there's a factor that follows that. The black child gets a better type of education because the resources mm-hmm. follow yes. the white child yes. is right. the problem. The right. So that's what we have to solve. Right. It's, yes. the, it's the fact that the resources follow the white child, and that's why people have this notion that the black child is going to get a better education if the white child sitting beside them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not okay with teaching or propelling that notion in our communities to our black children that you have to go to a white neighborhood school mm-hmm. or have a white child sitting next to you to get a, a valuable education. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. true. It's mm-hmm. not true. And we should be able to fix that. And we can't fix that with, um, you know, J. Crew dress Becky showing up to these town halls over and over again, talking about how they don't want to destroy their, their neighborhood schools. And this is why we bought the house here. I know, Becky, and then your grandfathers sold their houses in the black neighborhoods and the great white flight and left mm-hmm. and went over there to where you are now. Mm-hmm. And then your kids are going to come right back into this neighborhood 10 years from now mm-hmm. and buy back into these black neighborhoods that you mm-hmm. abandoned three, de- four decades ago. And we're going to do this all over again. Exactly. Well, let's talk about it. <laughs> and so, and that's, yeah. Let's talk I, about it. Right. And that's where I am. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm trying to keep myself open, but I, <laughs> I definitely, I'm, I, I think about my grandmother. I think about my mom, those people who have, who didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a choice. And uh, what it was and like for them what to, it was be, in like for them to yeah. be in that environment. And to, and when I think about their education, although they did not have the same caliber of books or what have you, I think about those teachers. It all comes back to relationships, mm-hmm. comes back to the people too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think about their teachers who made sure that they were well-rounded, that they could talk about anything. Um, And so you're absolutely right. Just having that uh, white student beside a black child is not... The key. That's not the answer. It's not the fix. Mm -mm. Mm. It's not the fix. The fix is in the resources. Mm. The fix is in the people Mm -hmm. Um, and the passion and the commitment and having a strategy. Mm -hmm. Having a strategy, too. Uh, Mm -hmm. We, we, You know, it's... What's the end goal and what's the strategy to get there? Mm-hmm. And if you have to move some things or change some things along the way, okay, so be it. But you have to have a strategy. You have to have a plan. Absolutely. So yeah. that's key. That's a good place to wrap it up right there. It sure is. Well, it thank sure you, is. Felicia. Okay. This has been great. Well, thank you. Thanks thank you for, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, of course, come back. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome we'll to come do. back anytime. All right. We'll do. We'll do. We'll yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs>
today we're visiting my home district, da, da, da. the 6th. <laughs> there we go. So I guess that means you can kind of guess who's here, but we like to let our guests introduce themselves. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Madam, tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've oh. been on council and what areas your uh, district encompasses. What do we have here? Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm Ellen Robertson. I've been on city council since 2003, and I am currently pushing uh, 16, 17 years. You you count it up. All right. (laughs) And so the 6th district is touches from the Enrico County line to the Chesterfield County line, comes through the center of downtown Richmond, includes the neighborhoods of Holland Park, Botten Heights. That's your hometown? Oh, yeah. I'm All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My hometown as well, Holland Park. That's right. And um, then I pick up a little bit of Jackson Ward, almost all of downtown from 3rd, from 2nd Street uh, down to 14th Street and crosses over the river, pick up all of Manchester, pretty good portion of, of Blackwell, uh, and also pick up Bellmeat. And then I go east mm-hmm. and I pick up Mosby Court, Wickham Court, uh, MLK Middle School, uh, in a little community called Eastview. Man, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I call it the Huggy District because mm-hmm. it just kind of like hugs everywhere. It, it touches, hugs it touches almost everything, everything all the way <laughs> yes, around. It, does. it is such a strange little district. It touches everything, and it's it's but. really um, it's very different in the north and the south sides. It's, it is. It's, it's, it's completely different neighborhoods. So, like a lot of council members could have a town hall meeting in their district, and you know it's pretty centrally located, and everybody feels like. Ah, oh, my council person met. But if I have a town meeting in Northside in Holland Park, yep. book over and bail me. So like they got <laughs> left out. That, you got left out. Yep. Same thing with Eastview. So it's um, kind of difficult. You've done them at the main branch library. I've done them a lot downtown. I used to do them in the back of America building at one time when I first came on council. And then I moved to the to the library. Uh, but I frequently I still have to move around to sectors of the community just to make sure that Cover folk that yeah, folk that I don't see regularly, I I get an opportunity to be more closer to them. This is not your first go round on council, um, but so what go- sort of goals did you set though for this term? Hmm. So I feel you've met them. Well, you know, um, because I have such a diverse district, um, one of the things that I have focused on a lot since I've been on city council is looking at how equitable our services are throughout the city and making sure that voices of all populations in the city of Richmond are heard. And because I have Hillside Court, Mosby Court, uh, Mosby South, which is a little smaller community that we refer to as Raven, Wickham, and then when I first came on council, also Dove Court was a public housing community. So I have five public housing communities in, in, in the 6th District. Then I have all of corporate America that was downtown, which don't right. have as much of corporate America downtown anymore. But you still have the big governmental institutions and all of those kinds of things. And now we have a rapidly growing uh, population in downtown Richmond as well. 
But then when you go north, you have older neighborhoods, historic neighborhoods, Barton Heights, Holland Park, um, that have traditional, you know, family, single-family homes, don't have as much multifamily housing, and those kinds of things. So the diversity of the neighborhoods that I represent requires that my scope of goals and objectives that I want to achieve to be extremely broad. Uh, I have to be very sensitive to the economic development in the city of Richmond because a lot of the larger development that takes place in, in the city of Richmond happens in downtown and happens in the historic designated communities like Manchester and also downtown uh, with all of the renovation and so forth that we've done downtown. But likewise, when I'm dealing with older neighborhoods like Barton Heights and, 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 and Holland Park, where there's a lot, have historically been, a lot of blighted houses in those communities, uh, where we work very hard to make sure that we put funding in place to support blight, the removal of blight, uh, the re restoration and and restoring of those old, historic, beautiful homes, which is what I did before I came onto city council. Is uh, I started a nonprofit organization uh, in Holland Park, and uh, we assisted first-time homeowners to become homeowners uh, by providing them with down payment assistance and closing costs. And so, before I came onto city council, I started that nonprofit organization assisted about 300 families to become first-time homeowners. And so now we have a process that we've moved from the stage of extreme blight to accelerated restoration of homes, new families moving in, a lot of growth in the area. And so our, my goals are always to look I'm very focused on community development and making sure that there's inclusion of housing opportunities, especially for uh, our neighborhoods. I have always been very dedicated to schools. I put academics above everything else with schools. I support facilities and making sure we have excellent facilities for our kids. But at the end of the day, I want to make sure that the academic achievements are being done. And so I've invested a lot of time and energy and dealing with equity and housing and equity and education. One of the other areas I focus on a lot, though, is uh, incarceration and justice and looking at our justice system and making sure that, that, you know, we have fair and just policies and laws as it relates to enforcement of laws, uh, the penalties for those laws, making sure that we're not incarcerating people that should not be incarcerated when there's other things that should be done. And so those have been a lot of the kinds of areas that I've sp spent a tremendous amount of time on as, as really as the city council. I'm probably, um, I know that I have been one of the, by time, the length of time that I've been on council, but I've always enforced a lot of legisl legislation to make sure that we're addressing those e equity situations. I think if we go back and look, I would say at least since I know we've been probably following council. I've, well, I've been following well, council been following since, since I was 11. 11. I'm, yeah, I'm ridiculous, but, but not every, please, not for everybody a long, used to be like me. <laughs> for a long, long time, um, yeah. you've had a paper talk, like trying to push something dealing with affordable housing and trying to improve it. And equity and development. Well, speaking of which, what, uh, what papers have you had uh, passed this year? Oh, my goodness. Oh, you know, I would, I, I would not be able to say off the top of my head. Um, 
but uh, what I can, what I do recall um, as it relates to affordable housing, there were several papers that we passed to make sure that we started an affordable housing trust fund. We always are pushing for additional revenues, dedicated source of revenues to go into the affordable housing trust fund to ensure that as a part of that trust fund, we ensure that at least 30% of the funds in the trust fund are dedicated for families at 30% of the area medium income or less. This year, we were the first year we really actually got the fund up to $3 million. Our goal from the beginning was at least, at least a minimum of $5 million, so we still have a long ways to go. I also made sure that we put in legislation uh, that wherever the overflow shelter for homelessness is going to be located in the city of Richmond, that that legislation, that decision has to come to council for council's vote. What has happened in the past, because the city of Richmond has absolutely no zoning in the city of Richmond that would allow for an overflow shelter to be located. So anytime an overflow shelter would have to be located in the city of Richmond, unless it's in a city-owned building and facility, it would have to come back to city council under special use permit. Um, and so I passed the legislation that irregardless whether it's in a because of the no zoning special use or whether it's going in a public facility, it still had to go back to council. We have to have a public hearing. We need to let the community know, not only the community where it's going to be located, but the homeless community. They have a voice, and we should take in consideration what they have to say as to where that overflow shelter is located and all other shelters as it relates to sheltering for the homeless. So at the time, I felt very um, concerned that the city was not addressing homelessness in a in a comprehensive way like we should be. Uh, our goal should be to not have an overflow shelter because we're providing adequate shelters, but not only shelters, but shelters that has a transitional plan that move people from homelessness to stable housing. And so I requested that the city do a comprehensive study on homelessness was due to us October 1st. We actually just got a report on Thursday that the administration said they're not satisfied with what they presented to us, and they want an additional 30 days to kind of fine-tune some of the things that are not included in the plan. So those that's, that's one of the efforts that we passed. I passed legislation to make sure that in communities where there are conservation areas that we allow for tax exemption for those developers that develop housing, but they would have to have at least uh, 30% of that housing to be affordable housing. Also had legislation passed that if there's a, anything, if we're doing a development and the city puts something in the deal, whether it's land, whether it's money, uh, such as with the Navy Hill deal, where there's a p strong public-private sh opportunity there, it requires that... 15% of the development in the area, if, if housing is being provided, 15% of it has to be affordable housing. So those are some of the housing kinds of things that I've passed recently. Some time back, I had put to put in place a, a, an alternative to incarceration board. Uh, I tried to withdraw that a few weeks ago, and council kind of nigged on me and said, no, hmm. uh, let's put that back on the board. The real objective for trying to pull it at the time was because the board that has been meeting, we've not been able to make any the progress that needs to be made. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel very strongly that the 
language in the ordinance for the alternative to incarceration needs to be refined and mm. better defined so that we can be successful in moving forward. So I'm grateful that council kind of reneged on that and said, no, let's let's just move forward and make those changes as we go through the process. So we're in the process of doing that as well. I serve as the chair of the advisory board, which is something else that I put in place and also had the legislation passed to create the anti-poverty initiative that has resulted in the um, city having a department that deals with poverty and the reduction of poverty. And so... We have quite a bit of ambitious goals for that to deal with jobs, career development, transportation, and other initiatives that are necessary, especially education, as it relates to how we reduce poverty in the city as well. And that, we heard what your priorities were. What would you say were the three priorities your residents would kind of pinpoint? So when I say my priorities, one of the things that's very important to me is that we we are consistently doing feedback surveys with our residents and determining what priorities there are. We look very closely at the kinds of call-ins for services that we get also to determine um, what those needs are, what we hear people asking for that they need, so that my priorities uh, are driven by the things that I know that the community needs and what I hear back from my constituents as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I my constituents want decent streets, and they don't want any potholes, and they want more lights, they want the trees trimmed, they want decent sidewalks. Those are infrastructure needs that I think every district, every citizen in the city of Richmond expects that they can ride down streets with uh, with some sense of ease, that they don't have to run into a, a pothole and have the cars knocking at line. A pot canyon, I know. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we, we always have those routine, you know, that's like just good housekeeping, you know, right. that the city needs to be accountable and responsible for. Right. Um, crime is also one of those issues that almost all of our constituents are always concerned about. It's, you know, it, it feels very strange and very stressful uh, for residents to live in communities that they are really concerned about gunshots, especially and gun violence. Um, you know, we still have too much domestic violence that I get a lot of calls about. I get a lot of calls uh, from families that, you know, concern about whether or not they're able to get the kind of resources that they need for their children. Um, I was at the uh, illumination on Friday night, and I was talking to this, this, this grandmother. She looked too young to have four grandchildren, mm -hmm. but she, she had her young grandchildren, and they were all like elementary age school kids, mm -hmm. and uh, so we were. T I was telling them about what we do with an angel tree with it in the schools to try to help parents out during Christmas time and those kind of things, and so I asked her to send me a note, and she did. She said, I don't know what the angel tree is all about, but I would really appreciate it if it was some way that I could get some help to make sure that my children, my grandchildren, got music lessons. Mm. Oh. Neat. And yeah. I was just like, you know, I think, and those are the kinds of feedback that I think that is necessary for us to listen to families about. Because, you know, we may put together the turkey dinner with all of the fixing, and I know everyone that I 
the 150 that I gave out this year were all needed and appreciated. But sometimes when I when you talk to the constituents and you ask them what it is that they really need, when we, when ask, women yeah. say to me, you know what, I don't know the last time I bought a new bra. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, so I think, you know, that's one of the things that's so critically important to me that we take the time to really listen to what people Mm -hmm. are saying to us. When grandmothers are asking for music lessons for their children, you know, uh, when women are saying, you know, you know, can I get a new bra for my teenage daughters and myself, you know, those are the kinds of things that gets down to the level of where people are. But then, you know, the business community and their needs and for them to say to me that the BPO tax is just not competitive. I want to do business in the city of Richmond. I want to keep my business in the city of Richmond. I don't want to relocate. I want my taxes and my fees to be competitive that I can do business here just as easy as I can do somewhere else. Those things are equally as important too and they are important to the economy of the city of Richmond. And so for me it's important that we tell the whole story. That we just don't tell the story of the families that cannot afford some things that are very basic but we also tell the significance of the story for the economic development so that we make sure that people understand that that there are different that we have to raise revenue in the city of Richmond all the time and we have two choices and maybe more we can raise fees we can raise real estate taxes we can raise the level of economic development that generates that should generate more money in the city of Richmond than currently the largest source of revenue that we are generating is through property taxes. Property tax, yeah. Well, speaking of which. Speaking of property taxes. Speaking of property taxes. Two questions about developments and developers. (laughs) Knowing what you know now, will you share your thoughts on Michael Hild and Churchill Ventures operating in your district? Um, You know, when... um... Here's the fun part of the show, Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So I'm supposed to have fun with this, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's difficult to have fun with it. I'll I know. Be, I'll be very honest with you. Um, when the when I really got the full knowledge of the level of development that the Hills were planning in the city of Richmond, and especially in the 6th District and the location of the Blackwell community, that is a small part in the 6th District, but a significant part. Mm-hmm. And uh, the development that the purchase of buildings on Hall Street and the plan for development in Hall Street on Hall Street that was more in the sixth district than the Blackwell community. I got involved because first I was very surprised that the Department of Historic Resources would allow for a designation of a community area by simply having someone put up. I don't know a little bit of money to do some research as it relates to properties that were over a certain age and with a certain volume of that, that they could draw boundaries across your neighborhood where you live and designate that community as a historic designation. And when the residents in the community found out about it, they were very concerned about that because they felt like they didn't have a voice. Uh, historic designation mean different things to different people. Yep. And not for the department, the State Department of Historic Resources to not think that it's essential that we require that there's a community education component 
attached with that beyond just running an ad in the paper that is going to be designated. So I got involved and started working with the community, the community residents, and went through an extensive community engagement and education process to explain what historic designation was. We delayed the process a couple of times because it was necessary to bring the community along and get to a place where it needed to be. With a bit of reservations, uh, the designation was done. Uh, with the intent that we would provide an overlay zone for economic inclusion by doing an equity study database so that we would make sure that we put the a balance to development in the community area. So we have done a lot of work with the library to try to move that process forward. And to come to this place <laughs> where the hills have... I guess until the person is convicted, they aren't convicted, right? Uh, so we, I will not um, go beyond what has not been, what the courts haven't taken care of. Yeah. But it is She's discouraging. Indicted. Yes. It is incur- it's discouraging that the courts are allowing for the properties that they have acquired to be sold and can be sold now, even though it's just an indictment, but the revenue that will be generated from those sales is cash revenue for them, irregardless of what the verdict is. That's troublesome to mm-hmm. me. That bothers me a lot. And so there's a paper that came before the Planning Commission just this past Monday, and uh, one of them was for a piece of property, for a special use for that property, for the redevelopment of that property. That is likely to be one of the properties that will ultimately go for auction And I requested that it be delayed because I don't personally want to see the Hills make a whole lot of money off properties that there's an indictment as to what may have been done in the process of them acquiring it. Right. And and for those of you who are kind of catching up on this, what's happened is Michael has been indicted um, because he created a false veil between he and uh, his wife and attempted to do such with their business um, that he was at one point running with her, Churchill Ventures, but was unable to actually do that because they were able to connect, the FBI was able to connect the monies that were being used to purchase those said properties. And so that's what's happened. The money was being basically stolen Fraud. from... Um, the uh, mortgage company, the reverse mortgage company, and he reneged on those bonds um, that he borrowed from three different banks in the upwards of uh, $200 million, I believe. And um, Yikes, that is not plain money. The money was money. properties in the name of not just Churchill Ventures, but there were two other LLCs as well that are also included in the indictment. And those properties are actually being auctioned off mm-hmm. to highest bidder. to yeah. yeah to the highest bidder to actually recoup some of the money that's mm-hmm. been lost to those banks um, mm-hmm. or to the the people that are suing him for their money and so in actuality yes they in a way are profiting from the sale of the properties but the hills are more or less indirectly profiting from it. They are not getting to keep the money per se. But the we money as a city is, get no revenue. Right. The city itself, um, 
are not benefiting from through this process because these properties, many of them, as I've reported on, um, the hills were um, lackluster in their renovation of many of these properties. Mm-hmm. Their um, treatment of the tenants in said properties. Has been ridiculous, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so many of them were not really repaired up to standards, up to code. Many, you know, things were cut and slashed and I don't know, avoided and so on and so forth. And so now these properties are being um, auctioned off to the highest bidder to get the most out of it during their bankruptcy case so that these debtors can basically get their money. Wow. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So then, you know, Mike Hill will disappear after, before he goes to jail. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my prediction. He's just going to disappear. <laughs> I mean, that's my prediction. Yeah. He'll just disappear before it comes time to go to jail. <sighs> into the land of where the other money that I haven't been able to track down disappeared into an offshore account. <laughs> and the same c- communities that are disinvested, mm-hmm. that are redlined, mm-hmm. that are denied um, fair loans, yeah. And uh, continuously being black marketed yep. or red marketed, whichever is the appropriate terminology, by investors. And, and taken advantage of. That take advantage of, of, of the same population of people consistently over and over and over again. And, um, you know, it just, um, it really is very troublesome and... And unfortunately, you can have, I know a lot of developers in the city of Richmond, and we have really got some very wonderful developers in the city of Richmond that really care about the city and are really doing a great job and have done a lot to contribute to the growth that we have in the city of Richmond. And we would not be where we are, and many of them are local developers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then you get one bad guy that knows how to work the system Mm -hmm. and... um, and so the community's never felt really good about uh, them as developers, and I'm, I was hoping, I was hoping that they would turn out to be another good developer in the city of Richmond, but um, unfortunately, that's not true. Yeah, and I think Richmond, that's kind of the, the story of Richmond. Cycle um, of distrust. Yeah, you know, it happens. People tried to warn of the the hills when they first came, and they people saw the signs, and it happens, but one thing Richmond does really well is not learn from its mistakes. <laughs> so, but let's let's try now. Oh, so let's try to not We're do tr- that again. Hey, twenty twenty is a fresh year. <laughs> yeah, let's let's saying. give it that old uh, you know yeah. New Year's resolution try. Yeah, let's let's try to do better with that. We've had you know a series of of poor developments and developers that rape opportunity zones. And Mike Hilde is a a perfect example. Um, Mike Hilde actually created his Opportunity Zones um, with, you know, making these historical districts on his own. He did them himself. Yes, he did. Um, Had a person, and and I actually spoke with um, some of the people who were responsible for helping him Mm -hmm. um, craft, draft the paperwork and work on it. And they said how disappointed they were to find that they thought they were Mm -hmm. protecting their neighborhood and helping to protect their little neighborhood from becoming, you know, X, Y, and Z by using, you know, creating this historical district. Mm -hmm. And then it was used to rape an opportunity zone. Yeah. And, um, you know, but that's the story of (laughs) that's it. So anyway, anyway, 
So how, with with knowing that, how do you propose we deal with developers in the future? Because um, we do have a great history of of some great developers that come into Richmond and do awesome things, but we also have a history of developers that do some very <laughs> up things too. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we, you know, how do we fix that? How do we, what do we do? Well, you know, I think that in the Hill case, we we got the community involved and did a lot of things to make sure that we were putting, attempting to put some things in place to mm-hmm. protect ourselves. The fact that the financing is where, uh, and lots of times that's, that's the bottom line. You've always got to trace the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and tracing the money um is one of those things that I sincerely think we always need to put more emphasis in investigating and making sure that, that we're doing the best that we can to, to make sure that happens. But then there's also a need for making sure that we, to the greatest extent that the state allows us to, we are a lot of time restricted by what we can do at the local level because Dylan of state role. government. Mm-hmm. Um but where we have the authority to do those things, we need to do more to make sure that community benefits are a requirement uh, for a certain scale of development in the city of Richmond. Uh, and that way we can make sure that the community benefits are protected in the process or that they are incorporated into the deal. Um, all of the community development I mean community benefits that we attempted to put in place in the historic area we're not codified by legislation. Mm. And because the state Department of Historic Resources doesn't require that. One doesn't do it, yeah. And they don't do anything to make sure that there are benefits that are made. They're just there for the purpose of making sure that the designation is done, and which means the developer can take advantage of historic tax credits. Right. And the historic tax credits don't come within the community benefits requirements and attachment. Right. And so the legislation, and that's one of the reasons why, for me as a legislator, it's important that we look at legislation and how we bring about equity and fairness in, equi- in uh, legislation. We mm-hmm. look at this recent study that was just done by the state and the number of pieces of legislation with the racial disparities in, mm-hmm. that are in that they're talking about purging out of the legislation. If they're there, that means that they can be used. It doesn't matter that they took place, they were put in the uh, legislation years ago. They're still law. Yeah. And and so people can still use those things. And when we don't have those kind of benefits, community benefits built in to our legislation, and we have departments that we've set up Mm -hmm. that have the liberty to do such things as historic designation. And we know what historic designation has done in community. Yes, it does provide revenue to help and restore communities and restore historic structures. And and that sets Richmond apart Mm -hmm. from a lot of our surrounding areas. But there are other community benefits that needs to be packaged and put into all of our development deals. And also there needs to be more critical analysis of the financing to make sure that Richmond is not being taken. And just like anything else, it's in moderation. We all love chocolate, but don't eat the hell out of it. You don't know? eat the whole bag. <laughs> I'm just saying. In moderation. So it's the holidays. But in on. moderation. <laughs> in moderation. In the same vein of developers and developments and everything, Navy Hill, the proposal would be in your district. 
Yes. yes. It is in the 6th District. So uh, what are your thoughts on the project as presented to you, and what are you hearing feedback-wise from your constituents? So what, my, what I'm hearing back from citizens beyond the constituents of the 6th District, um, their concerns as it relates to, number one, whether or not we need an arena. Mm-hmm. and what value is added to the city of Richmond by having an arena. Those questions still have to be answered to the satisfaction of the citizens before we make a decision as to whether or not this is a good development for the city. What is great about the development is that for those people that still come downtown and say downtown is boring. Hmm. Well, can't have half a dozen one by success yeah, in another. Yeah, you know. Um, And so for folk that want more entertainment, they want more activity, they want more growth, they don't want blocks and blocks of property that are just surface parking lots. They don't want that continued transfer station, which is just inhumane to have uh, that kind of situation set up. They want to see more affordable housing downtown. They want to see a gathering place where there's good streets, good streets layout, where there's more open space in downtown. I mean, the Capitol is a beautiful park downtown. It's absolutely a beautiful park. But I don't know that we use it as a open space. People kind of feel like, hmm, you're walking through a, a facility, a government grounds and so forth. It's not inviting. It's not welcoming. You may see a fair number of people there doing lunchtime, but that's about the extent of it. But to create more open space and have a more opportunity for activities and so forth down, downtown, most a lot of people are saying, you know, I like this and I want to see it happen. They like the idea that there's, you know, $300 million for set aside in the development for minority businesses. They're, they like the idea of the guarantee of so many jobs and opportunities for locals in the, in the city of Richmond, that the efforts are being made to work with their local unions to make sure that local Richmonders get new jobs and opportunities. I mean, they're excited about the fact the conventions that want to come to the city of Richmond like the idea of having a new arena or places where we can attract attract bigger entertainment here. They like the idea of the hotel. Uh, Jack Berry with the convention center is like just thrilled that he's been wanting a convention (laughs) hotel for years and finally feeling like we're going to have something to that scale. The question still remains, and one of the concerns is that is the financing, is, when we say that the city will not be on the hook, whether or not we are absolutely sure that we've checked all of the boxes to be ensured that Richmond is not on the hook, that we're not going to be stuck with a red camps deal again where Richmond's going to have to cough up with, come up with the money for the years that we uh, had to continue to make payments for other developments that have taken place in the city of Richmond that, you know, the cities would always have to go back. And so people really want to make sure that, that it's a wise investment as it relates to other priorities that we have. Mm-hmm. And will this generate additional revenue and stimulate more revenue uh, growth in the city of Richmond to help us in the process? So years ago, 30 years ago, Richmond decided that we were going to do tax abatement for real estate development. 
across the board. That hurts us a lot. Well, but look, it may be perceived that it hurts us now, but for 30 years, it has been the only reason, the primary reason, that our population has grown by 20,000 people. Facts, yeah, it does. I mean, you know. uh, Get people into houses. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's been the leading um incentive that the city has put in place to encourage population growth and to remove blight where people where the private sector say okay if i can get tax abatement for this i can come in and i can do this development and i can create housing now what was not done as a part of that is that we didn't say okay fine but we want to make sure that we include affordable housing in that mix that was not a requirement Mm -hmm. but i'm passing legislation that says that's going to be a requirement going forward okay um so there has to be for a good public private investment there has to be incentives that the city provide to make that development happen and coming into the stage i mean i can remember when we would say you know the amount of money that we are writing off in tax abatement because of the housing initiative for abatement 20 million dollars a year it's a lot of money okay Mm -hmm. but as a result of that, look at the additional level of development that we've done in the city of Richmond and that we've been able to grow the city of Richmond. And so the level of blight that you have in the city of Richmond is significantly less. Man- Manchester was nothing. There was no Manchester community. Mm-hmm. you know. And look at the number of units of housing that we have in Manchester today. And yeah. a lot of that has been stimulated by the tax abatement initiative. Same thing that's happening now in Scott's edition. Same thing that happened in Churchill. As to the level of development, the transformation of those communities was because of that kind of investment. Mm-hmm. So to do downtown, one way or the other, the city is going to have to be involved in making, the, making an investment in that effort yeah. to make that happen. In this case, the city is saying... The new revenue that is generated because of the private sector investment, will yield, that money will be used to pay the debt for the arena. And the question still remains, is it the arena? Is it an arena that's going to make that economic development grow and, and, and produce the types of other development? But the private sector is taking a huge investment up front in that process of making that happen. Typically, that has not happened before. No. The city is the first the huge gets, investor left up front. With the check. Right. Mm-hmm. But, so, or you know, I, so we still have work to do. Um, but I will say this. Richmond needs to move to being very proactive for public-private investment. And we need to be smart about it. We need to know well what we're doing. We know how, need to know how to evaluate those deals to the assurance that we are not being taken, but we need to become a conscious-minded city that promotes and encourages public-private investment. Otherwise, we're asking the city to pay for everything. Which we can't do if we keep giving out tax abatements and, <laughs> and, and everybody says, don't raise my taxes and don't tax my cigarettes and don't yeah. Do yeah. anything. Right. 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 You so don't. what's the other option? It doesn't grow what's on the trees. Other what's the other option? It's not in the city. We got to figure out how to, how to make money, right? Yes. It's got to come from somewhere. Yes. Yep. Move it along because. <laughs> yeah, we're a little bit over time. But that's so okay. One of the things that we like to talk about, and um, we asked Felicia, you know, how do you guys 
kind of work together to, or if you have, maybe share how you guys have worked together to accomplish something for your district. Harmony between council mm-hmm. and school board. Yeah, have you guys done anything like maybe to, uh, maybe it wouldn't necessarily have to be a paper or maybe a small project or something. How have you guys worked together? Or maybe you're planning to do something that just hasn't happened yet to team up together to do something for the sixth. So for schools, um, Felicia and I have always uh, worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, we have adopted the schools that are in our district. Our schools are aware of the fact that as a part of that adoption, we go to each one of the schools and we find out we basically set up storehouses for them. So we asked the principals for each one of the schools in our district to give us a list of the things that they need in their inventory all the time to support their teachers, Mm -hmm. to support their students. And we attempt to, we call them closets, Mm -hmm. and we attempt to stock those closets on an annual basis. So I get a little bit of um, uh, revenue out of the city to cover expenditures that are directly related to the district. Okay. And so each year we've written a $1,000 check to help cover that cost, but then we partnership with an abundance of businesses to inventory our closets. Okay. Uh, and so we work very closely to make that happen. We adopt their schools, the um, the Christmas trees, uh, angels that we talked about earlier, we bring programs and extracurricular activities within the school. Okay. And so now we are currently working on a way that we can uh, partnership, uh, which is Felice's uh, request and recommendation, that we partnership with Virginia Union and we look at more strategic ways that we can get Virginia Union involved in our schools in the district and begin to work through this process of more being targeted toward education and career development uh, with the schools that are in, in the 6th District. So we've, we've worked very closely to look at those things. So uh, we have a youth in, uh, program that is working out of um, an Oak Grove Belmead uh, community area and working with uh, Mr. Bob Ockerbright as it relates to biking to school. Uh, they have high school students from... Uh, George Whiff that maintains the longs over there. Uh, I put money in the budget to help support hiring someone through Park and Rec that does all the training for the for the students, and so they're maintaining the grounds over there, which they're doing an exceptional, beautiful job. So there are lots of different ways we work with developers. There are developers who have said to us, when we are ready, that they're willing to set up a special fund to make sure that there are computers on the desktops of our students to the degree that it's, the school is ready to accept awesome. that. Yeah. yeah, That's great. How can constituents, if they have supplies or things or they just want to help, how can they contact you guys to do that? So my number is 804-314-7658. They can give me a call. I also have a volunteer team that work with us specifically to address schools and to, and to make sure that we are providing the resources that we need uh, to cover our closets and other extracurricular activities. But if they would give me a call on that number, I will connect them with our volunteers that coordinate those services. Awesome. Sounds good. Yes. Well, before we wrap, just one last question for you. Mm-hmm. We're about to trip into an election year. Are you running again? Yes, I am. All right. All right. You heard it well, here. See you then, then. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Ellen Robertson. Keep up the good the work. Uh, we appreciate the services and the work that you all do to keep the message out there in the city of Richmond. And uh, we look forward to continue to working with you and being a helpful partner. Thank we you try. so much. We try. Fueled <laughs> on gummy bears. We try. We try. Well, we'll see you at the next council meeting. All righty. All right. Thank, thank you so much. Us. Thank you. And as always, Richmond listeners, we thank you for your engagement. You can connect with us to engage with this conversation or continue and start another one on all social media at RVA Dirt. And as usual, Flint still has dirty water and now so does New Jersey. Great. RPS is fully funded this year and we need to start working on next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that because we need it. And you bet Richmond is still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week. Thank you.